Hello and welcome. My name is Emma De La Rosa, and I am the host of the Bedroom Studios podcast, the podcast where we talk about what goes on behind the scenes in a musician's world and bridge the industry gap by bringing their stories, expertise, and advice to early career artists. Subscribe to join us for a fun chat about life as a creative person, tips and tricks for pursuing an artistic career, navigating the music industry, and more. Today on the Bedroom Studios podcast, I will be interviewing Aaliyah Guerra. Originally from Montreal, Canada, Aaliyah Guerra is a gifted jazz vocalist, electric guitarist, and producer. With an incredible emerging career underway, the young artist has gone from performing for local parliament members to performing all over the world. Aaliyah was recently on tour celebrating her debut album with performances in London, Dubai, Los Angeles, and New York City. Aaliyah's timeless repertoire of jazz, soul, and R&B classics has been compared to the smooth style of Erica Vadu, Shade, and George Benson. Gaining the support of the Canadian government thanks to her international success, Aaliyah has landed the opportunity to record her upcoming album at Sony Studios. Deemed the 2023 Artist to Watch by CBC News, Aaliyah's extraordinary musicianship and captivating voice make the perfect retreat to unwind, relax, and indulge in life's finest pleasures. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Bedroom Studios podcast with our guest, Aaliyah Guerra. I'm so happy that you're here and I'm so happy that we get to chat for a bit. The first question that I'd love to ask you is how your musical journey started and how did it develop to lead you to where you are now? Yeah, so my grandfather was actually a musician. And so when I was growing up, he was very adamant about making sure my sisters and I were involved in music in some capacity. So when I was like really little and he was like in a retirement home at the time, like my mom would bring my sisters and I to go sing to him like after school. That wasn't the the purpose of it, it was to see him, but he would teach us songs and we would sing together for like hours. And then when we would leave, there was like a bunch of seniors like lined up in the halls, just sitting and like jamming. They're like, you're leaving already. When are you coming back? So this used to happen like multiple times a week. But I like, I learned a bunch of songs from my grandpa and then he was like, you know, kind of losing his marbles a little bit, but he like, you know, in one sentence, he'd be like, oh, I don't know, the nurses are stealing like my my toothbrush or something. But then he'd be like, here's 600 bucks, put the girls in piano lessons or like, (laughs) you know what I mean? So he obviously was very um, on the ball about making sure we were in music. And so my mom put my siblings and I in music program, like all throughout elementary school. So I don't know about you, but I have played the recorder like oh yeah one um and then I was in the talent shows like every chance I got I would perform so I think I was about six or seven and I sang the little mermaid so before there was black Ariel this year like I did it back oh yeah yeah and so and I remember my dad um was like videotaping and I took pictures and he came back to sit with my mom and he's like wiping his eyes just like were you crying he's like no no, something's in my eye so anyway (laughs) So anyways, um, yeah, that's like I started performing from really young and in school and then by high school, um, I wanted to play the sax and the drums, but they put me on the clarinet. They kind of they kind of um, they finessed the situation and put me on the clarinet. Anyways, clarinet's pretty cool, but I was doing like concert band music. So like scores that you hear on TV shows or like in movies um, started playing that. And then there was like international competitions and stuff like that. And then um, around like around, I guess, the middle of high school, I started like playing guitar because my grandfather was a guitarist. And when he passed away, I inherited the ones that my mom wasn't even allowed to look at as a kid. Like he was like, don't even breathe on it. Like I will take it out for you and you have to sit down. And I ended up inheriting it. So um, I tried to practice with it. I didn't have any lessons. I just tried by ear. And I loved Amy Winehouse, like a friend of mine had introduced me to her music. And then um, they didn't have the karaoke versions on YouTube. Like YouTube came out in 2006 or 2005. By 2009, I was like trying to find those random jazz karaoke. They didn't have it. So I had to learn by ear. And then when I would figure out the song on guitar, I was like, it's missing bass and like back vocals. And I was trying to find softwares that I could use to like add those stacks in there. 
and I had a, Mac, a Windows. I never had a Mac. Like, obviously, a high school student budget was not permitting the Mac. Oh, yeah. So, so I tried GarageBand on my mom's iPhone. So when she would come home from school, I would hijack it for hours and try to, like, make some, some beats on there. And then I tried everything. I tried Ableton, Reason, Cubebase. I tried Fruity Loops. I tried everything. And it just wasn't really resonating with me as a software I wasn't really understanding it or it was kind of pricey or whatever it might be so then eventually I found Mixcraft which I still use to this day so it's been about 13 years I still use the same software um and I started practicing on that I don't know if you know Tori Kelly yeah oh I love her still one of my faves but she had put out some videos of her building a song track by track like stacking them and showing like how she built the song in her bedroom studio mm. so from there I was like okay hey, I'm gonna try exactly what she did so I remade her song like on my software and then I was like okay if I could do that I could remake these other songs that I've been wanting to do for a while and then I started writing my own songs I was playing guitar by then and writing lyrics so um I started piecing them together and then eventually that became songs that are now on my first album so um yeah the, I put out the first album in 2018 and then um yeah the rest was pretty much just doing shows up until I released the album and then once I did release the album I produced my first showcase if you want like so I got the venue got the band the videographer wow. photographer the security all the marketing went to CBC went to a bunch of different radio stations the same day um which was crazy but uh it was an interesting experience and then um yeah after I did that big show all these other opportunities to perform kind of came up and I started going to the States. So I went to New York and California. And then I was like, well, that's cool. So I decided to go to Europe. And in 2020, I was supposed to do your, um, London, Paris, and Zurich. But obviously, COVID was like, mm. nope. So um, I built a mobile app in that period. I taught myself something to do because I'm creative. And I couldn't really sit there and do nothing. So I figured that out. I built something for musicians. Um, it's no longer up anymore because obviously, COVID's over. And I can focus mm. on other things. But um, yeah, then this year I was able to kind of reschedule some dates now that everything's opened up. So I was able to do my show in um, London and it was actually on the five year album anniversary, um, oh, album, which was I did not have any. Well, I, I marketed it as if it was that <laughs> way, but it just happened to be um, that way, which was amazing. And then instead of going to Paris and Zurich, I actually just kind of rerouted and wanted to find a place that was like technical technologically advanced and like integrating music into that as well so Dubai is actually a really great place for that and they've got a really cool jazz scene out there as well so I had performed um in Dubai a couple of days later um and that was amazing I met so many people and got to check out so many cool things so definitely a place I want to get back to and then obviously I came to Toronto and I did the women in the studio uh program which I'm currently in right now and just been really cool getting to like do all these fun things and um go into these big studios like sony and universal and we got to run our own session in there which was wow. like like i don't know i, I was it called bucket list goals because like i never thought i'd be sitting in front of an ssl like the giant console with a million buttons on it i mean i still don't know what they all do but like i know how to record in there and we we got to have a good session in there so um so yeah that was really cool really fun and um yeah, I'm just like, I have a new album, trying oh. to get it mixed and mastered. So that's, oh my gosh, once so that exciting. happens, then y'all will get it. But um, but that's pretty much where we're at now. Um, so yeah, it's been an interesting ride. That is incredible. Thank you. Like, it's just like so mind-blowing hearing you list, list them all out at once. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I want to go into each of these things because they're just, they're so cool and I'd love to hear more about how, especially as an independent artist, like it could be hard to know when to start, but you were able to make all of these things happen. So like with your, for your first album, you produced it yourself, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All that, of it. Amazing. So like, how was the process doing that? And also, you know, like just set it, because the album is a big, it's a big project. It's, you know, like just releasing one song is, a mountain in itself but doing an entire album it's it's a lot so can you can you go more into that process yeah so 
to be I guess it's like it's an album but to be specific it's an EP so it's it's six songs but still mm -hmm. like I mean the same amount of time and blood sweat oh, yeah. and goes into it um but initially I didn't plan to do it myself it was just like the the funding was like oh, this yeah. and I'm gonna just be super honest and like real transparent with you because I think a lot of people have a like miscon like they just kind of perceive this very differently and it, it seems more glamorous on the outside like when mm. I explain how my journey has gone but there has been a lot of like down periods where it's like you question am I should I even be doing this or should I just get a normal job um yeah I can and, relate to that <laughs> yeah so I mean and obviously like music is not cheap to like produce and like put out like if you want to do it well so um so yeah, I didn't really have a whole lot of money when I started. I was I started production in high school, right? So um, I wasn't working. Um, so yeah, Mixcraft was like a free software. So they had a free trial. And I mean, I bought the software eventually, but I was using it <laughs> for a while, okay? Um, but to be fair, they had like a two week um, long free trial, but like you, they just didn't let you bounce out the project to put it in an MP3 and listen to it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's where they really get you. Cause if you've been working on something all day, you want to listen to it like a thousand times on your phone, like when you go out of the house. So they didn't let me do that, but um, I used a crack version for a while. But anyways, I was using the software and because like studio time was expensive and like, I guess as a creative, it's like, you might pay for a session and then you're not creatively there that day or like the juices are not flowing, but the time is still ticking the engineer is still mm -hmm. like getting paid and you have to pay for that time whether you're creative or not that day so um it's a lot of pressure and I think the pressure just makes that situation a whole lot worse if you're trying to create um so I was like okay I got to figure out how to record vocals and guitar at home at my own mm -hmm. studio so that if I get ideas and I get inspired at like three o'clock in the morning I don't have to worry about like commuting halfway across the city at nighttime to like, and then see if the engineer is available. Like obviously he's probably sleeping. So um, yeah, so I was just like, okay, hey, this would be a lot more cost efficient and then just like creatively more productive if I could figure this out at home. So that was like the first challenge that I had to figure out, which wasn't too bad. I think the fact that now you have an interface that you can plug your headphones into and plug the microphone into and your guitar into all up to your laptop is a game changer because first of all you could pack your studio in a bag and like go wherever you want but also it's like you don't need a ten thousand knob board to like do this mm -hmm. stuff and you don't need to pay like you know crazy expensive sessions to to get some ideas recorded on on your DAW. so that was the first thing um, so if I had to find a mic, I, I got like a super cheap mic. Like I know some people are like, get a really, really, really good mic. But honestly, they play my music on CBC and they've never, they've never known. I mean, I'll definitely invest oh, yeah. in one when the money's good, but um, it did the job. And yeah. I think the music is good and it sounds good and it, you could trust your ears, then, you know, don't overthink it too much. So that would be my advice on that for anyone who's listening. But when that mm -hmm. first part was done, um, I was able to record a lot of the ideas that I had, a lot of the songs that I had figured out on guitar. And then I was able to like add lyrics to it because I just like to journal. I would journal every day um, listening to like Jay Dilla beats because I don't know, his instrumentals are nice. So I could just write to that and um, got a lot of lyrics out and I was able to write really like like my my lyrics just kind of came easily to me at that point um also I I wanted to buy beats online because I would find some beats obviously but then I'm just like okay if I buy this beat how do I know this person didn't just like scam this off somebody else but they oh, want to yeah. charge me for it and then if I try to like get a sync placement now it's on my head so mm. I had like some serious anxiety about that it's not over exaggerating or like or anything like that it's definitely something you should be cautious of because oh, yeah. people do that <laughs> okay so and you would it would suck if you built something you're super proud of around that beat now you got to toss it out and do something completely different it's not gonna be the same song so um so yeah it's it's definitely something to be mindful of so that's why I was just like I'm not gonna use samples I'm not gonna do anything like that I just want to do much as much as much of this out of my head as I can and so that's what I did the album was finished at one point and then I wanted to re-record the vocals because when I first started I was using a webcam like a little USB webcam because if you have a USB mic it's better than like the headphone mic it's it's yeah. so bad I used to use that at one point too but I had recorded on like 
a snowball mic and some of it was on the webcam mic and it was just really bad and I knew I couldn't put it out like that so I had asked um a friend of my parents if I could record the vocals at at his studio that he had in his apartment. So every Saturday for a couple of weeks, my mom would come with me and we would, we, she would sleep on the couch and I'm there trying to record the vocals. And I remember we had a couple sessions and it was done. We just had to mix it. And when I came in on the final day, he was using an analog board and the impossible happened. Literally everything got erased and there's no backup on an no. analog board. Oh yeah. And I had like booked my my mastering session at a different studio for later that day because I thought you could record a song in like a couple of weeks and mix and master it and it would be no problem. It was it, it did not happen. And I think that's when I my I got tested to see if I was really down for this music thing. So um it was a very awkward ride home. I was just in shock, like just staring into space like okay like that just happened am I gonna re-record the entire song again like what are we gonna do so anyways um like I let a couple days go by and then um I basically went and got a better mic that which is what I have now and that you hear on the album and that's when I was like okay I'm gonna record this at home um slight little story I forgot so before I got to that my mom started looking through her contacts again let me see if there's anyone else who's got a studio that we could work with and I'm not going to say his name but obviously um so anyways I was working with this gentleman who apparently used to work for Sony many moons ago and you know everyone in the industry will tell you oh I'm gonna make you a superstar or whatever like just you know stick with me and I'm gonna whatever so anyways that was his spiel and so every morning for about three days a week I would go like two hours away from home to go record in the morning I would be there for three four hours record then I'd go to school then I'd go to work I come home do my homework all that stuff so I was I was very tired but I was just trying to get the song done and then when I finished recording um we needed to get it mixed so he'd send it to his partner to get mixed and then several weeks later I'm asking hey is the mix done is the mix done and he's like yeah it'll be done it'll be done and then eventually I asked him one last time he's like you know you're not Madonna or Mariah Carey you know we, we're not gonna have it just like oh that my just and so I was like you know what I'm doing this myself so I yeah. met up with the engineer, got the stems, and I just was like, hey, I'm going to redo this myself. And that's when I bought the microphone. So I did try to collaborate, and it just wasn't going the way I wanted it to go. Yeah. And um, It's always such a risk um, oh, yeah. to collaborate with someone <laughs> for the first time. And then I'm like, are they going to give me my stuff back? That was the other question. Oh, like, yeah. Where is this going? So then I figured out, okay, copyright's a big thing. So I started mm -hmm. learning how to register things online. If you're independent, you better learn how to do that. From there, I um, started doing some, I, even before that, I was working with other artists just recording, but I wanted to do my own thing. So I, I knew of a studio and I knew of an engineer that I could get things mixed and mastered by. So that's when I had decided to uh, record my own stuff at home. I was able to send it out to uh, an engineer to mix it for me. And then everything was like done. So that song that I had been trying to record for so long, I was mm -hmm. able to put that out as a single and then I ended up recording some new music in between that time and I put it um, on the album and that got mixed as well so I was I was working a lot and they weren't the most glamorous jobs at all um I've applied for grants grants are a hit and miss type of thing like mm -hmm. it's really luck of the draw so I think as independent artists, a lot of us are thinking like, oh, you know, we can we can do it ourselves. We don't need these labels like the labels are good because they give you a lump sum of money up front. But it's it's the strings attached that can vary. And that really depends on if you want to do that, and what your deal looks like. Um, but again, the grants are not that it's like it's not the saving grace. Like if you're lucky if you get one, but it's not going to, you know, guarantee that you're going to put your album out this this year or whatever. It's it's really luck of the draw. So you have mm -hmm. to put in the work and work multiple jobs sometimes even if you really want to get your music out there so that those are some things I had to learn the hard way as I went how do you navigate or attempt to avoid burnout when you're having all these different hats yeah um so <laughs> it's like a good thing and a bad thing so like being an independent artist it's not like you have a team that manages your bookings to make sure that you're booked and busy every day of every week of every year. It's not like that at all. Um, and some seasons are dry. Some of them are really good and super lucrative. Like in the summer, in the spring, it's pretty good, right? But in the winter and in the fall, people are going back to school and it's also really cold. So people don't like leaving their houses and there's not too many festivals out. So um, I try to like go with the season. Like if it's a cold down season, I'm not going to fight it and try to like book a bunch of shows in the winter like I'm going to try to take that time to probably 
work, you know, recoup some money. I might spend some time writing because I'll be home a lot if it's cold outside. Um, I might be recording stuff, you know, just because like I'm in my room, you know, so those are those are good times to do that. And then when it's it's summer and it's hot outside, I'll be like practicing just, you know, so I can gig and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's good to do a little bit of all of those things all the time. But personally, because I just know being an independent artist and you still have to work and balance life and music and stuff. I don't put pressure on myself to be recording all year round or to be gigging mm -hmm. all year round. Like it's obviously nice, but I think the pockets of time that I have in between one gig or the other, like I, I will just kind of listen to myself and look at my schedule and see what I need to do. Look at the finances. Do I need to focus on working right now? Or do I need to focus on recording and things like that? Um, and also I think another thing for independent artists to like avoid burnout is don't try to compare your schedule or your line, lineup of action compared to like Beyonce and these big time signed artists because they have teams of people who are on payroll to like help mm. them so they're not wearing 30 hats 365 days a year they're literally themselves and if they need to take a break they can tell their team to chill and like book things for them in two months from now or whatever it is so give yourself time give yourself space be patient and like um yeah like it's it's okay to have a month where you're not doing anything so that's why it's just life balance and then make sure you have some kind of income if you don't have a grant, like that's definitely how you'd balance that. That's awesome. So many amazing insights in all of that. So thank, thank you so much. How do you approach social media? How I've done it in, in the past, because I've, I've recently made some changes to uh, my social media. But in the past, I don't I don't really like. So I don't know if you look at my social media, I think I have about 2000 followers. I'm not like I don't have millions of followers like them TikTokers who just be dancing. <laughs> like I'm not really much of a dancer, so I'll probably never be doing TikTok videos like that. Um, so but for Instagram, I mostly just like would do covers and then like clip them and put them up there. Um, sometimes like people would comment like which songs I should do. So I would try to like take a challenge and try to figure the songs out and I'd post them up there. Um, and that was like the content that I would create. And then later on, as I had things going on, I would document it. So mm. it wasn't like I was trying to create content. It's kind of like, I have an interview today. Here's what I'm doing. Or um, I have a show today. Let me take you with me. Or I'm going on tour. Let me take you with me. So it was little things like that. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm a pretty normal person. So I, I, I don't really think my morning coffee is that exciting and that interesting. Maybe it is to some people, but I try to keep things as music related as possible. Um, I have lots of content, but it's mostly music stuff. Um, you won't really see me like waking up in bed with a crazy face. Like that's not my style <laughs> at all. Shout out to people who do that. It's just not my thing. Um, so I just try to be as like real as possible without like over creating things just for the sake of content creation mm. um yeah and then um and I also would like recommend like if you're trying to find gigs and stuff or you're planning on like leaving the city you're from you could totally use Instagram to your benefit because I've met so many people even before meeting them in person just through Instagram and then eventually when I would go to those cities it was just like, oh, shoot, so-and-so lives here. Or like, oh, yeah, that girl who's always sharing my videos lives here. Let me ask her if she wants Aww. to come to the show. Yeah, even before going down, I was able to, like, get people to collab, like, to help out. So on Out to Cali, one of my singles after the album, um, I was able to reach out to a musician in the States. I was able to reach out to a musician in, in Switzerland. They both gave me different versions of the piano that I would recorded. I'm not a pianist. I can just play the keys a bit. So I, mm -hmm. I wanted to hire someone to, like, you know, just kind of embellish the chords I had and I if I had to go to those places physically to to meet them it probably wouldn't have happened or maybe it would have taken really long so um Instagram is really useful in, in in that sort of way so I would encourage people to to post like even if you're not just posting because you want to get like TikTok famous or whatever like definitely post because you never know who's going to see your stuff and mm -hmm. um you know you might be creating a little network for yourself um for any future projects you might have so it's definitely helpful yeah, really cool. Um, and you 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 mentioned a lot of, about your your touring. Um, how is booking a show in another country? How's that process different from booking a show in Toronto or from where you're like a local city? 
The first thing I would say is try to go with a venue that is credible, like, or like an organization that's credible, because then you know, they're not going to like, you know, do some shady stuff or be like, yeah, we decided we're not going to do it anymore. Like, you know, so I, I always like to reach out to um, organizations that friends of mine have performed at or people that I follow if I really like their content and their music. Like if I see there's somewhere that they've performed at, I check out the venue or I check mm -hmm. out the organization that's tagged in it and I'll reach out to them via email or whatever. I think So Far Sounds is a really great um, organization if you want to get into performing outside of your home city, just because when I did my first So Far show, um, I was in LA and um, I was actually with a friend of mine, shout out to Guitar Gabby. She's from Atlanta. She's the head of this, um, the Tulips band. It's like a female non-binary BIPOC band. It's like most like women, you know, women presenting. Um, super awesome, really cool rock band. But anyways, she had asked, she'd asked me to perform with her in LA and she was doing a performance at the headquarters of So Far Sounds. And I had never heard of So Far Sounds. So when we had gone out there, um, we did the performance and there was a whole room full of, you know, fans and, and people and just like just people attending the show. And they were very attentive and very engaged and very supportive. And um, the tickets were handled. The venue was handled. Um, everything was very, very professional. All we had to do was show up, play and get paid. So that's like an independent artist's dream because like when you have to wear 10,000 hats, if I don't have to wear the promoter and the marketing and the booking and all these different hats, like, thanks, I'm, I'm here for it. And I get paid too. Awesome. So anyways, I was like really fascinated about that, that whole procedure and how that went through. And so I was just like, what is this? Like, I need to get more of this in my life. And so she's like, yeah, like, you know, you can reach out to this person and they'll be able to try to hook you up with a show because I was I was there a little bit longer than she was. So um, she had flew back to Atlanta. She didn't get to come to my show, but I was able to get something during pre-Grammy week, which was a couple of days later. And um, that was like my show. But there was two other artists performing, obviously. So we kind of got to share audiences and like share this local audience that just generally comes to so far shows. So I got to do that people listen they asked for my instagram i got some followers it was really cool and from there from then that performance i was just like okay if i could do this in la and i had a whole room full of people and like i had a video of them like cheering because i wanted to do like an instagram thing i was so hyped um i was like i would love to do this like somewhere else in the world so i registered for so can uh, sorry for so far sounds and um yeah and i would just pick a city that i wanted to go to and then i would email like you can never go wrong with a good email you know you don't want to just be in a roster you always email it always goes a lot a lot further um and i would just contact them and i was like hey you know i'm thinking about um performing in london on such and such dates like i gave them like three four dates and um cities that are typically more i guess fast paced like if you're going to new york or la or london like they have a lot of shows so chances are if you pick a date and they're like yeah we've got that date they're sticking with it and you're going to have a ton of people at the show. But if you're choosing like a city like Zurich in Switzerland, they're more community-based and they'll kind of do it based on what, what venues available and how many people are buying tickets. So it's a little bit more iffy if you're going to go that way. So yeah, check for credible organizations and um, send emails, do figure out a date that works for you. And then when you're going to try to book your ticket or your flight or whatever to go there always give yourself some buffer time like give yourself like a day to travel an extra day just in case things go wrong and like an extra day for jet lag because I'm telling you the jet lag will mess you up mm -hmm. if you're traveling far especially if you have to sing like you want to get vocal rest and stuff so um, give yourself like three to four days in between performing and then the actual performance itself and then if you want to like see the city give yourself like a day or two and then leave you know so you can you can knock out like a good performance abroad within a week like if you give yourself like you know five to seven days in that city um and if it's super super far like i'm saying like jet lag related five to seven days is really good but if it's like you know a flight within your country or not too far from home i mean you can knock that out in two to three days i would always give yourself like a day to get settled have your show the next day and then you know if you're gonna see the city and then leave then you know two three days is well three four days is this generally good but mm -hmm. but that's how i book my shows i leave a lot of room for for any error because when murphy's law it's i don't know what it is but things tend to get funky when you, when you <laughs> don't want them to so oh yeah i haven't seen you perform live yet but um i've seen a lot of videos of you performing live and you have such just like this strong presence on stage and it's so engaging 
Um, how did you get to that point where you could go play a show and just be so vibrant and engaging with the audience? Yeah, thank you. Well, um, like I said, I've been performing since I was a kid. So I, I don't think the nervous thing ever goes away because to this day, like I'll still get a little nervous before going on stage. And I think that's kind of a good thing because then it means like I'm excited and I want to do a good job and um, it means it's important to me still. So I, I think if I ever lost that that buzz or that excitement that I'd be questioning like if this, if this is still for me. So that's mm -hmm. that's one thing. But also um, while I was in university, uh, so I, I studied political science super different than music obviously but um luckily the political science program like the core program courses were like booked like to capacity like I couldn't even get into a course that in the program that I was in so I was like okay let me just take an elective this semester and like chill obviously so I was like okay I want to get into the music program but you couldn't put it on your schedule unless you were in that program mm -hmm. and I'm like well I didn't take an you know singing test or ear test or anything like that so I'm probably not going to be able to do all that so anyways I had sent an email to the registrar office and then the head like the program for music and I asked them if I could get in and they're like oh well we need to hear some of your music and then we'll have you forward or we'll forward this to Charles Ellison who was one of one of the head professors in that department so anyways they sent my album to Mr. Ellison and I, speci I specified like listen to the song Moonlight because it was a jazz composition that I wrote and I had my friend Remy Cormier uh, play the trump the trumpet on there. Little did I know, Mr. Ellison is a trumpet player. He's a jazz trumpet player, and he's really good. Obviously, like he's been around for a long time. So, um, so yeah, when I he heard the album, he emailed me like the next day, like I need you in my class. Oh. I was like, oh my, but I didn't do ear training. Like I can read sheet music, but like that was like years ago in high school, and I'm like, eh. he's like, listen, if you can make that, you will be fine. So I was like, okay, cool. So. Um, I was in his program for a year. It was the best year in university ever. Um, it was just great to come into school and like get to perform. And every day I would just have to sing. Like that was school. You'd go to school, you listen to jazz, oh, yeah. you figure out some chords, watch a video, and then you sing and you just mm -hmm. improvise with the whole band. And it was amazing. And um, I mean, it was very simple, but I also wanted to make sure I was maximizing my time that semester to not just be chilling and you know obviously it was great but I wanted to get the most out of that semester mm -hmm. so I went ahead and I applied for performing arts as well which took place at jam vocal performing arts school like at the other like, a little bit farther from the campus I was at that was with Jennifer Mead and it was really great because what had happened is she changed my perspective of being a singer versus being a vocalist and she changed my perspective of just singing versus performing mm -hmm. so um the first thing she made us do was she's like, don't ever come in here with sweatpants on. Don't come in here with just jeans and a t-shirt. It's like, don't do that. Because when you're a musician and you put on a show and you expect people to pay tickets from their hard earned salary to come see you perform, you need to take it seriously. You need to treat it like a job. So if you wouldn't come to your job in sweatpants and like a bonnet and a t-shirt or whatever, then don't treat this like it's just, you're relaxing. Like it's a job. You need to dress like you're a star so when people go there they're like this is what I came to see it's not some random guy who's waiting for the metro it's like you can see somebody's put some some time and there's a star quality there um and then also she made us sing every day so whether you wanted to sing or not you're singing in front of the whole class and you had to do at least 30 seconds to a minute and also she helped me like lean into the the nerve I don't want to say the awkwardness but sometimes the nervousness because sometimes when you're on stage mm -hmm. like I used to get this thing where like if people stare at me, I start getting more nervous and I'm in my head, oh, I'm like doing up a narrative of like what they're thinking. And I'm like, oh my God, like in my head, I'm thinking they want me to fail or they're just like, they're probably booing me in their head and they, they want me to hurry up and get off stage. Oh. But she was just like, she made so much sense of it. She's like, no, like if people came there to listen to you perform in their head, they're just watching you. They, they want you to do well. They want it. They're cheering you on. So what you should do is instead of feeling awkward by them smiling at you or looking at you is stare right back at them, smile at them, sing directly to them. If you catch someone making eye contact, that's your new victim. Stare at them and sing <laughs> to them, serenade them, give them a personal like connection throughout that whole song. Because when you're able to connect with someone through like your eye contact, 
like they're going home with a personal memory of like that was such a great show like they were singing to me and I can tell you so many times when I've had friends who've gone to concerts and they're like oh my god Beyonce looked at me or like <laughs> you know Sid the kid was singing to me like I remember I went to the internet concert and I was right up at the front and she was singing right to me and my friend in the front row so I was it's a very big difference versus someone whose eyes are closed or you can't see them or you're super far from them so she always told me to like lean into that like if people are engaged and they want to connect and they're they're really paying attention to your performance sing to them literally sing to them so I don't get nervous anymore it and it, it makes me excited and I think also practice a lot of artists that I I know and that I've worked with don't um and when I say artists I mean the actual singer itself not the band um I I I force my band to practice if we don't practice mm -hmm. we're not playing but practice is so important because you develop muscle memory and um, being a musician, like anything, like even being an athlete, you got to practice your shots because if you're going to get a three pointer just like randomly, it's like because you've done this a million times before, like, you know what the formula is. So as a musician, it's like you really have to practice, practice your performance. So if you're going to do even like an improv, you've practiced it already. So it might be the first time the audience hears it, but you're going to nail it perfectly because you've done it a million times. So that way your body, you have confidence in it. And if you want to switch things up, your body knows already what you should be doing because you've done it before. So I don't get the nervousness as much. And then I'm able to kind of just have this more relaxed and engaging uh, personality when I go on stage and I don't feel overwhelmed or get the butterflies and one last thing i'll share is take 10 deep breaths before you get on the stage because it's amazing what it'll do it'll calm your whole body down because sometimes there's so much going on that i'll get the jitters and then it might show in the way that i'm singing I, it sounds a little shaky but those 10 deep breaths kind of like resets my diaphragm it resets my head it resets just like my my breathing and all of that and um, I'm able to feel more in control of the situation, of the performance, and then I don't feel like the audience's energy is going to influence me. I'm able to sort of set the tone myself. So those are the ways I do that. That's awesome. I love how you say 10 deep breaths, because usually people are like, oh, like, take five, take three. But like 10 is, you're breathing for a good chunk of time. I feel like spending that, that just intentional time to breathe and to center yourself is important. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know I know you said like at the beginning you have like, you know, the rose colored glasses of your highlight reel, but there's dry spots every here and there. But mm -hmm. I don't know. You I, I love your mentality Thank through it you. all and your your work ethic. So it's, it's amazing. Very inspiring. I know you're releasing music soon, but I wanted to hear more about your single show me which i believe is the most recent single yeah yes please please tell us about it yeah um that's a great question thank you for asking it um so during covid i worked on a lot of music so obviously i, I released the, an app well that wasn't really in the music releasing plans but i ended up building that at the end of 2020 i released it um anyways i was working on music in between that as well and um kind of right after it. And through 2021, I I was working on, um, on Show Me. But the thing is, I had a couple of songs prior to that, that, um, well, at least one specific song, where I wanted to incorporate an audience participation kind of thing, where it's like, they would do like, it's a call and response kind of thing. But I couldn't do it because it was COVID and there was no. no shows happening. So I had to figure out how I was going to stack all these vocals to make it sound like 100 people repeating after me. So it was so awkward. And I was so obsessed with trying to get that to sound like a group of people. And that's when I was like, damn, like I really miss live shows because this could have been done in five seconds. But it took me like a whole night to figure out how I was going to figure it out. Um, anyways, I was really like into this upbeat, funky sound. I don't know if you know the band called The Internet but no, I don't. they're super funky and like r&b you should definitely check them out but oh, um yeah. anyways i had gone to their concert like the year year 2019 and uh I was so inspired. I was like, I want to make some like funky music because their first album was a bit more like slow R&B and my first album was kind of like slow and like, you know, relaxed and chill, which is like, that's cool and everything. When you do festivals, you want like more upbeat, like you want the the beat to hit the wall at the back and you want people mm -hmm. to move because I sometimes I'm like, are people bored? Because they weren't moving to the music, but it's just because the music was slow. So anyways, I was just like, hey, next album or next song, it needs to be more upbeat. 
And obviously during COVID, it's like there was no parties, there was no nothing. And it made me think of like the years before and just like growing up, we always had like these these barbecues and cookouts or dinners or like Christmas, birthdays and stuff. My parents were always playing a lot of funk music from like the 70s and like stuff from the 80s. It was very upbeat. And like personally, like I just like older music. I'm not really into like radio music that much just some good music on the radio some songs I like but I I draw a lot of inspiration from like older music from you know previous generations so um I wanted to make something that was kind of reminiscent of the past something influenced like that had that sort of influence on it and so when I was recording show me um I was I was home recorded it by myself and I remember um I had this the the lick that you hear during the chorus on the electric guitar and the bass it actually started off um the bass line started off on the electric guitar and i use i've been doing it for about a year it was stuck in my head and i would remake it i made about two or three different songs with that same sort of rift in it I, it wasn't sticking for me so then um one day i kind of had a version of the song that i i was okay with but i didn't really like it too much and then i tried to come up with something else and um it wasn't quantized properly like it wasn't on the right beat so when i would try to add things to it i would it was messing things up so i'm like i'm gonna remake this but with a similar idea and i'm glad that i did it because that ended up being what you hear now so um i that electric guitar rift is what inspired the whole song and then i was like hey what if i do this on the bass so i did it on the bass and it sounded real good and um yeah and then i just went up to my room and i had a, a drum track that was on there so i started writing to it and the writing came fairly easy actually like the first two or the first verse came real easy i was just freestyling and it sounded good so i was like okay i like that and i kept writing um and then the chorus took a little bit it wasn't too tricky to get that but i i just knew i wanted to create a song that was like related to dancing something mm -hmm. in a club or in a party um because right right around the end of COVID, I want to say, I went to a boat party in Toronto with my aunt and she's like so fun. Like she always like finds these cool parties for us to go to, but it was people her age, like in their forties and fifties, but they played all the tracks, like all the good songs from the seventies and eighties. So when I went to that party, it was fantastic. And I was just like, okay, I want to put out a song that people could dance to like this. So um, that's what the lyrics are about. It's just like partying and having a good time. And obviously like when COVID was over, like everyone couldn't wait to go and party again. So I was like, oh, yeah. it's going to get played in the clubs for sure or on the radio or whatever. So so the, the lyrics were really like that. And I have a little bit of like a call response kind of thing going on in the breakdown of the song. And um, I was thinking of like the roller skating era. So that's why when we ended mm -hmm. up filming the video um, a couple months after the release, uh, it was really interesting. So there's a roller skater named Roller Rouge. His name is Jared. You've probably seen him on the Tim Horton commercials or like skating around Union Station. That's the guy. Uh, he's really, oh. really awesome. Um, his friend, Emma, she roller skates as well um, locally in Toronto. So um, we were able to shoot the video and uh, it was kind of a community project. I got some friends to come through. And then also at the beginning of the music video, like I said, I recorded the song by myself. I'm doing all the instruments that you're hearing. So I wanted to create a visual because I don't think people see enough women producers first of all mm. and second of all i don't think people get that i'm producing all of these songs by myself so when i say i produce it by myself it's not franklin the ghost on the drums and like jeffrey the ghost on the bass like no it's me like it's literally me playing all of these things so what i did is um like prince style because prince plays all of his instruments and his music is super funky and it's great um so what i did is in the music video i got them to create an effect where you see me on the drums at the same time as me on the guitar, at the same oh, time yeah. the piano. So it's like five of me standing in the studio in one shot and we're all performing at the same Hell time. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's that's how the music video came about. It was really just inspired from the, the actual production of the song. And I guess one last thing I'll say is the cover art. It's like, um, I had done a photo shoot the year before uh, for the modeling agency. It was a Vogue photographer, Nick Morzetti. He took the pictures and they look great. So um, yeah, we even have a, a scene in the music video where uh, I'm reenacting the actual photo mm. shoot for the cover art. So you see me like in this black bodysuit and taking pictures. It's so all of it's really inspired by like the production of the song and everything that went into it, like mentally and just sonically. So, so yeah, it's probably That's the so most awesome. fun project. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. 
and the song is so it's it's so catchy like Thank now you. that now that I've now that we've been talking about it I've just had the chorus in a <laughs> loop playing in my head for the whole time something I've been I guess obsessing over in my own head was I guess this is this has been I guess inhibiting me in my writing a little bit I'm trying to not make it do that but I've like I'll write a melody and be like, "Is this catchy enough?" or whatever it is. Do you ever, like, how how do you approach writing melody? I've been asking this a lot to people. That's a great question. Such a good question. So I did not know this song would be as catchy as it was. I think you'll only know what's catchy if you start humming it randomly, mm. like, and then I don't know if you sh- if you have like a group of friends that you're like cool with that you don't mind them hearing so far comes out like. If they start humming it, then then that yeah, that's it's catchy. But I mean, I didn't I didn't have like a little group of people to show it to, so I just kind of wanted to get it out once I did finish it because I I made this song pretty quickly and I just wanted to get it mixed and mastered and get something out. So um yeah, when it came out and then you know I, people at Tiny Jam are like the photographer Susie's are like singing show me what you want to do and I'm like oh my god and now like I'll be on the phone with friends and it's they're randomly singing it to me and it's been like a year so I don't know I think sometimes you don't overthink it like mm. sometimes the melody is just going to come to you and sometimes if you're humming it and it's stuck in your head or it's stuck in a friend's head it'll definitely get stuck in other people's heads so that's usually how you can mm-hmm. tell <laughs> Oh yeah, it's like the kind of song that you listen to once and it's it's just there. It's in yeah. <laughs> in the filing cabinet in your nice. brain. <laughs> yeah. But no, it's such an awesome song. Um so I guess we're we're nearing the end of our hour, which is so sad. Um, if you had other questions, like I'm having a good time, so I can see I that. have I'm having such a great time. <laughs> um so we gotta do a part two of this. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. So I have um I have two more questions. Uh, the first one is when you're beginning your journey, what's is there a resource or piece of advice that you wish you had or that you would tell your younger self? Yeah. Um don't get discouraged per se, but I think it's important to pri- if you're going to be an independent artist, prioritize being able to have a steady income. And that doesn't necessarily have to be in music. Do whatever you got to do to have a steady income. You're still a musician at the end of the day. And if you know that, you won't have to change yourself to, to make money. You can have your steady income and then make your music on the side on the weekend. Put it out when you feel like it. And guess what? You can still pay for vacation. You can still pay for a ticket to go somewhere really cool and just bring your guitar or your instrument with you. And now, you know, use Instagram to book a little performance. So you don't need the labels. I think if you want to have a nice chunk of change to do things that label signed artists can do be your own label be your own bank be your own funder your own you know grant provider and that means having a steady income so you can have a normal job and be a musician you don't have to change things i would tell that to my younger self and i would tell that to anyone starting out because being an independent musician is not as glamorous as it sounds like yeah you own all your royalties and everything but if you're depending on your gigs it's going to be a very up and down reality. If that's your gift and that's what you love, um, don't make that be your nine to five. So yeah, that's what I would say in a nutshell. <laughs> that's some really good advice. I think I think it's so it's so common to doubt as an artist, especially when it's like you know you're trying your your best, but then there's just some things that you either don't know about, like opportunities you don't know about, but then also things that you do know about but are having trouble accessing. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, I definitely encourage people to participate in these artist development programs and things like that, especially if you're starting out, like it helps you network, it helps you ask people questions and you get a face. It's not like an email or you're sifting through Google or a thousand YouTube videos. Like you can really ask people that would know the answers to your question. So that's definitely a super helpful tool, I think, if you're starting out. Um, But definitely when you get to a point where you want to record and put out music and things like that, um, you know, you might get a grant here, you you might get a grant there, but it's not going to be a sustainable, you know, income for you long term, it's it's going to dry out at some point. So it's really important to, to just make sure that you've got you're you're taking care of you. Because when you're taking mm-hmm. care of you can create all you want, and then you're able to put it out. So that's, that's really the formula there. Yeah. That's awesome. And uh, last question is, 
Do you have any music recommendations? Yes, of course I got the recommendations. So so like I was saying, the internet band, they are so fire. That's my favorite band. I saw them perform in Montreal. It's amazing. I actually got to meet them too. (gasps) They were so cool. Oh yeah. And then Moonchild. They actually, okay, so these are my two favorite bands. Don't ask me how they ended up opening, like, for internet on the same tour. <gasps> in the same. I oh literally my. almost fainted. I was like, what in the world? And I met both of the bands. It was an emotional day. Like, I started with my, my, my sweater on by the end of the show. Like, my sweater was off and I was sweating and I cried a couple of times. It was an emotional day for me, but it was awesome. Um, <laughs> so the moon, moon child, the internet. And I didn't take my sweater off just because I was being crazy. I took it off because it was a hot. There was a lot of yeah, <laughs> and I had a tank top underneath. So <laughs> just, if you're just, if you're yeah. dancing the whole time, it's yeah, like, yeah, it gets yeah. Warm. I was right up at the front, so it was awesome. But anyways, <laughs> that was too bad. Moonchild, the internet, um, definitely got a shout out Tori Kelly. She just released an EP a couple of days ago or last <gasps> week Friday. So yeah, check her out. She's really dope. She's an incredible vocalist. She produces, plays the guitar. So I, I resonate with a lot of um, the music that she makes and just like how she's navigated the industry. Even though she's signed, she's still very like true to herself. So I love that. Um, and if I can name like some older groups, there's a group called Loose Ends. They're like from the UK. They have like this like 80s kind of like R&B, but like it's kind of funky. It's kind of like disco mm-hmm. vibes. I really like their music. Um, gosh, there's another, there's another uh okay yeah I'll, I'll say those four <laughs> for now but there there's so much more I used to work at a radio station in university CJLO shout out to them but uh but yeah those are my top four right now I have to say that's awesome yeah well, thank you so much for being on the podcast this was Thanks so awesome Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Bedroom Studios podcast. I will be linking Aaliyah's music and social media in the description below, and you should definitely check out her song Show Me and her music video. This episode, episode 10, is actually the last episode of season one of the podcast, and that is so exciting. We made it to 10 episodes, end of a season, and season two is coming very, very soon. I will be taking a bit of a break just to record some new episodes and to make some changes and improvements to the podcast. And so the first episode of season two will be released on Thursday, February 1st, 2024. So if you haven't already, make sure you're following us on Instagram, Spotify, or YouTube at Bedroom Studios Podcast. So you can be the first one to know about when season two is released. And of course, don't forget to check out our playlist of guest music recommendations, which will also be linked in the description. Thank you so much for listening to the Bedroom Studios podcast, and I will see you in season two.